Have you ever felt like the world is upside down? As though there are power structures in play where there are a few or perhaps even one person whose will dictates the will of the people? And if the people don't fall in line, then there will be a great suffering imposed upon them? Well, if you happen to think that, whether it's reality or if it's a fantasy in your own head, then you're probably thinking of a dystopian type of society. In today's episode of The Writer's Lens, I'm going to be looking at dystopian stories, specifically those I like, love, and hate. I'm JCL Felto, and this is The Writer's Lens. All right, all right, all right. Welcome back to The Writer's Lens. I'm your host, JC Alfelto, and as promised, trying to do these on a more consistent basis. So hold my feet to the fire, if you will. So welcome back to The Writer's Lens. I hope you did not uh, lose your minds or lose sleep since the last time I released an episode. But in case that you did, you can always go back and binge on any of the episodes I've put out recently, specifically in this new series I'm doing called Stories I Like, Love, and Hate. And uh, today's episode is going to be about dystopian futures, or rather the dystopian future edition. Now, first off, you might be saying, what is a dystopian world? You've probably heard the phrase or that descriptor, or descriptor used on several occasions if you've been watching something, perhaps on Hulu, Amazon, Netflix, or an old DVD, or uh, dare I say a VHS tape. But dystopian stories are actually quite popular in today's culture. Um, you're not amiss at anything. Uh, if you were to go on to a streaming service and try to look for one, you're probably uh, going to find one pretty quickly. Uh, a dystopian society or dystopian story is, by definition, uh, some sort of imagined society, okay, that uh, there's sort of a great suffering that has been imposed or an injustice that is happening to the people, and it results in a sort of totalitarian society. Uh, it sometimes can get confused with post-apocalyptic type worlds where say there was a nuclear winter and now everyone's just scrounging, trying to figure out how to survive. Uh, basic modern civilization has been lost. Might becomes right. Uh, those who have the power or the, or the will to uh, impose their wills upon others without uh, a trial or law that we, we're more familiar with here in the West, they are the ones who end up becoming uh, the ones in power, they are the ones that end up becoming uh, the leaders or emperors or kings or queens or however you want to look at it. And that uh, can turn into a dystopian type of society where there is uh, this inability of a certain group of people or a class of people to ever actually rise up and, and make their own choices or have their own freedoms. And that's the way I've always kind of looked at dystopian uh, stories is that you have a group of people that are in, are incapable of moving up the economic ladder. They're incapable of moving into another space. They're part of like a caste system. Uh, there's no way that they can ever actually find themselves to feel like they are empowered within that said society. Uh, but it's even bigger than that. It's even bigger than that. It's like as if uh, there is so much suffering imposed upon them that they are incapable even of understanding that there's something better for them until a protagonist or some hero or heroine comes along and realizes that this is a problem and they need to rectify it. So I, I tend to like a lot of these kind of stories. Uh, you know, off the top of my head, I can think of quite a few, but the, the big reason why I like them is because in many ways, dystopian stories are very obvious. Okay, they're told from the point of view of the sufferer, the one who's at the bottom most rung. Uh, evil is clearly at the top. Uh, it has to be overthrown. 
uh, and a new kind of balance has to be made among society. And I think, especially here in the West, this is a very resonant type of idea because our country in the West was founded on this idea of uprising. It was founded upon the idea of a rebellion, specifically against a monarchy, against a uh, you know a society that was still king and queen, and, and you know and still believing uh, that uh, we're supposed to be dominated by a group of people that live across the Atlantic Ocean. And because of this, because in the West there is this spirit of rebellion, we often look at power structures and we often look at those in power and we question them constantly. We say, well, you know, you're in power maybe because of X, Y, Z, or you're in power because, you know, you made people bend the knee to you because you had a show of force or something. Or we look at it and say, you know, we don't really like you and you need to remove yourself, <laughs> remove yourself immediately or else there's going to be some hard times ahead. But, but dystopia as I see, is, like I said, it's, it's often very obvious that there is an evil warlord or an evil dictator that sits atop the throne, and you are the, uh, your point of view is that you are the person at the bottom, and you're trying to, uh, to usurp that person. Uh, stories that I love within this genre, I mean, are, are many. Uh, the Hunger Games is probably one of the most popular mainstream uh, dystopian stories that have come out in the last 10, 12 years. Uh, for those that have been living under a rock, the story of Katniss Everdeen and how she has to compete in this, you know, awful game where she literally has to fight to survive against other kids from different districts that are ruled uh, in, I think the place is called Pan Am, if memory serves me correctly. Uh, awful, obviously. Very awful, That a very barbaric idea that kids <clears throat> are chosen at random to vol be volunteered in to this game of survival and they have to kill one another. Uh, and they do it pretty much for the enjoyment of the elites. And uh, again, right after hearing some of those phrases, some of those buzzwords, elites and, you know, volunteers and uh, uh, brought forth or brought forth before uh, the masses against their will, you automatically start to get this picture of something wrong. Uh, this is not right. We shouldn't be doing this to our fellow human beings. Uh, other places uh, that I found this to be fun is, uh, or fun, not that that's fun, but rather the stories are fun to explore. Uh, you know, Red Rising by Pierce Brown, which was a novel that came out many years ago. Uh, the first one in his trilogy, I know he's written several since then, was to me was very good. It felt like a mixture of Hunger Games and Game of Thrones uh, when I first started reading it. Uh, pretty cool story set in a uh, sort of a science fiction future where there's different caste systems, different colors. The reds are at the very bottom. They do all the grunt work. They don't live very long. They're very small-looking people. And the golds sit at the very top of this uh, hierarchy of colors. Uh, there's silvers, there's platinums, there's obsidian people that are like mutated folks. Uh, you know, I, I think there's like a violet, perhaps. I'm, I don't remember. But they, I read it a long time ago, so bear, just, just, just bear with me on that. But pretty good. You know, another pretty good story about an underdog. And The Maze Runner, which was uh, a movie that my wife and I saw on our, on our honeymoon, ironically enough, because it started to rain where we were. So we went to a movie theater and we watched The Maze Runner. It was actually pretty good. But in many of these dystopian stories, there is this clear, dark leader that is keeping everybody under their thumb, uh, ruling with an iron fist, doesn't let anybody else uh, move ahead in life. And like I said before, this really undergirds 
the original rebellion in the West, the idea that these types of setups, these types of societies are wrong. They're fundamentally bad. We should be giving freedom to everybody. We should give people the opportunity to own their own land, to make decisions with their land, to barter and trade with their own money, the, 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 the food that they can buy for themselves. They can take that to different merchants. They can trade. They can sell. And it gives them a sense of worth and it gives them a sense of dignity. Otherwise, they have to get that worth and dignity from the state. They have to get it from uh, their leaders. Their leaders have to tell them what they're good for. No, 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 you're going to work the, the fields the rest of your life. That's what you're good for. Well, you know, what if I don't want to do that? Well, too bad. If you don't, we're going to shoot you in the back of the head. Again, in the West, we tend to look at this and say, that's you know, that would be a bad situation. And so a lot of dystopian type of stories have come out of that spirit, the spirit of rebellion, the spirit of, of underdoggedness. And I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. I think a lot of folks could look at that and say, well, you know, maybe it's wrong that in the West we continuously have this sort of underdog mentality that, you know, we're supposed to level the playing field. And yet I think it's a good check and balance for anyone that would happen to be in power. Uh, it's the whole reason why, again, in the West, why in America specifically, there's an executive branch, a legislative branch, and a judicial branch. You know, not one is supposed to rule over the other. They all kind of help each other, uh, and they're supposed to work with each other and also have a little bit of power over one another. Uh, at least that's how it's supposed to work. Uh, if you ask a lot of people of, re of recent times in 2022, that seems to be getting a little bit out of balance. Uh, but we, we could go down that rabbit hole. I'm not, go I'm not going to with this podcast. We're going to stick to this uh, particular topic. But those stories, these stories of dystopian futures are very popular. As I said, they're very popular. Uh, perhaps one of the most popular is 1984, George Orwell's 1984, which is a classic in terms of dystopian worlds where nothing is new or in terms of there is no history. People can't actually look back in time and find out that they've been wronged. Uh, art is, uh, you know, is not something you're allowed to necessarily do. Creative expression is bad. All those things are bad. So you're probably wondering, what could I hate within the dystopian genre? What is it within the dystopian uh, world that I don't really appreciate? Uh, well, I, I have to say this. A lot of recent dystopian stories that I've seen uh, or that I've read tend to put yourself in the POV point of view of a very young person. Someone who's a teenager, perhaps they're on the cusp of being 20 years old, and this person tends to have all the answers, or they are the gateway into the answers to overthrow said dictator. And I really, really frown upon this kind of stuff. You know, there was the, the series called Divergent. It was also extremely popular. Uh, it was about a, a teenage girl uh, who gets filtered into one of four different classes. My wife and I actually watched the first film. I think we watched the second one, too. Didn't read any of the books, but uh, I, I, I pretty much got the gist of the story. But it's this continuing idea that a young person whose eyes are wide open, whose ears are barely wet, who, are, who is totally green to the situation, walks in as an outsider's perspective into this dystopian society and is able to see through the muck and the mire and the gas or the smoke and everything else and can understand that there's something very wrong. And then they, and then they obviously have the gumption and the gall to go against the status quo. And this is what you see in a lot of sort of, you know, teenage fantasy stories, you know, like Divergent, Hunger Games, uh, you know, Red Rising to some degree was about a teenager, uh, the Maze Runner that I just referenced. These stories are all about a very young person 
who is thrust into this crazy situation and has to figure out how to survive. And then they basically start to help the resistance, if you will, the rebellion to take down said dictator. And, you know, I guess it's fun. I guess it's exciting to imagine what it would be like to be a really young person who's full of vigor and, you know, thinks they have nothing to lose because they got no family other than the maybe the ones they lost during the, the story. And they can just go and take on this dictator and just, you know, throw him down. And uh, I, I, I get that. You know, I, I, I resonate with that to some degree because, you know, naturally you would, you would feel like a younger person would be more likely to lead a rebellion rather than somebody maybe in their 50s or 60s to lead something like that. But here's the deal. The reality of it all is that children are our future, but they aren't necessarily the prophets or the generals of our future. Okay, uh, Kids are highly moldable. Uh, moldable. Uh, they're often naive. Uh, they don't really have the capacity to make a lot of really big decisions or even the right ones when it's necessary. Uh, they're still developing a moral compass. Now, am I saying that none of these stories are good? Absolutely not. Okay, that's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying Hunger Games is bad because it's based upon a young person or Maze Runner or any of these stories. But the point I'm just trying to make is that when you read a story like, say, 1984, or you read a story like Brave New World, and you see how complex society becomes, it's not as simple as we rally the troops and everybody stands with their fist in the air and they just, you know, attack the capital and everything, you know, goes according to plan. Uh, we know that that's not really how life works. That's not reality. It's a much more coordinated type of situation. If you look around the world at history, when coups happen or when uh, governments get overthrown and a new leader comes in or, you know, even again, looking at America and how a declaration of independence was made and how the colonies all got together and decided they didn't want to be ruled by this foreign monarch anymore or this uh, fo uh, foreign dynasty. It's a very complex and complicated thing. And, and it's very hard uh, for me, uh, especially, to be completely convinced that a young person is suddenly going to have all of the knowledge and wisdom to make the right, cho <laughs> to make the right choices. Now, again, it's fantasy. I get it, and you're probably going, you know, JCL, this is an incredibly big stretch, and you're, you're trying to ruin all of my fun uh, adult, uh, young adult novels that deal with dystopian futures. Okay, 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 whatever. But again, I get it. In many ways, a young person, their rebellious years are when they're young, and many times dystopian stories speak to that experience. That They speak to that spirit that is coming through in a young person where they feel like rebelling against their parents. And in a lot of ways, the government is their parents. You know, they want, they want to break free from their parents. They want to date, you know, girls want to date the bad boy. Guys want to date, you know, the girl that, you know, somewhat uh, ignores them. And they can somehow get her to, to notice them in some way and, and really, uh, you know, attract them. Uh, you know, even though they think they have nothing to offer, they find out that they really do have something to offer her. And they're going to go get that beauty and, and rescue her from you know, whatever crazy, stupid jock, is, you know, that she's interested in or whatever it is. I get that. I get that in terms of dystopian story. But to walk away with the idea that children are the prophets of our future and that they, that they have all the answers is the wrong vantage point, okay? It's the wrong place to be in. And you see that in our culture a lot. We see a lot of times, we see kids being propped up in the limelight to be used as shields to further an agenda or to further a social movement. Oh, you have to listen to the kids. You know, you know this kid has all the right information about you know climate change or global warming, and it's like no, they don't. Okay, that kid doesn't know what they're talking about. That child, if anything, 
knows what the person who's an adult is telling them what to say. They really don't have a good grasp on what exactly it is they might be saying. You know, there was this uh, this kid preacher that was on, like, Maury Povich years ago, or Montel, uh, Montel, I can't, um, is it Montel Williams? I can't remember. He was, like, spewing all of these scripture verses, and he was literally, like, 10, 11 years old. And everybody was like, no, no, he's a kid preacher, he's anointed by God. And, and years later in his life, he came back, he came forward, and he said, I didn't know what I was saying. You know, I, I was just being, you know, I was just doing what I was told. You know, I was doing what... I was told to do, and everybody heralded this guy as like, oh, he's this young up-and-coming preacher, and he's going to bring the Word of God to everybody. And it was like, well, no. I mean, anybody with a sense of maturity about them is going to look at that and go, well, this is a kid who's just trying to appease his parents or the people around him. That's it. It's only when we become older and we have more life experience and we've been through a few more trials in our life and we faced a lot of challenges, do we have a better sense of what might be right or what might be wrong. Now, granted, in the early days of our life, we are given a lot of uh, moral foundation. Hopefully we are, or we're just, you know, left up to find out whatever it is is right or wrong on our own, and that always ends up being a bad thing. But if we're given some foundation as a, as a child, we can then test it with our life experience. Is it really true that I should be kind to everyone? Is it really true that everybody should have a fair share of something? Is it really true uh, that I should fight for what I believe in uh, or that I should, you know, pick my battles wisely? You know, things like that. Are these things true, these sort of moral lessons that we are given, do they hold weight once I actually throw them into the arena of life? And that's what young people have to do. They can't just be told to become a, a voice box for something they have no clue of what it is they're talking about. Because as I said earlier, these are all very complex and complicated systems. They're not something that's very straightforward. Now, in many stories, like I said, the, the point of view of the character is very obvious. They're suffering. There's an injustice. There's something not right about society, and it's very clear there's something evil, there's something corrupt that needs to be overtaken. The good needs to, to be victorious, right? It needs to be victorious. So, again, it's fantasy, but it also speaks to the truth of life, is that if there is something corrupt, that we, we need to unravel that. You know, we need to figure out exactly what is corrupt about it, because the systems are only as good as the people who are in them. Uh, you know, you hear a lot of uh, terminology around systemic problems here, there, or other. And in many cases, that can be the case. You know, if there's really poor education or there's poor training, that can be a problem. However, if the people who are in there are bringing their own bad values into the said system or they are bringing, uh, you know, their really poor uh, perspective or an anti-perspective of what they're supposed to be doing, especially in the public servant world, uh, <clears throat> I, you know, not to mention any names, certain politicians who <laughs> walk into a place of public service and don't bring their values into there or don't bring the values of what they're supposed to do as a public servant, then you have a lot of problems. Uh, so yes, you know, I like I said before, I love dystopia. I love the story of the underdog of, you know, overthrowing evil because wherever evil is, evil needs to be uprooted. Um, but when we look to just kids, when we try to throw kids into the mix and we say that children are the ones that need to be the shield by which we will further the agenda of goodness. I, I have a real problem with that. I have a real issue uh, when I see kids being propped up and being given a microphone and saying, you know, these are the kids that have to speak to our future because they're the ones that either, they're the ones that are gonna have to take the future by the, by the horns. Well, you know what, you're the adult. You're the one that actually can control the future now. You know, why don't you do something about it rather than propping up some child um, as your shield? So uh, so in that regard, from a, from a cultural standpoint, I'm not big and keen on those kinds of stories. 
but overall, I'm a big fan of Dystopia because, again, uh, it's fun when you see uh, when you see evildoers and the bad guys, uh, all their plans go to go to crap uh, because some good people rose up and were able to stop them. So that's it for this episode here on the Writer's Lens, uh, talking about stories I like, love, and hate. This is the dystopian edition uh, here on the Writer's Lens. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope it can trigger some more conversations. It can maybe trigger, uh, maybe it will just trigger you in general. I mean, who knows? I mean, once I once I start down the rabbit hole of cul- of culture on this uh, podcast, I know it it causes a lot of people to reach out to me. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I know I'm doing something right, I guess. Uh, but. Either way, uh, share it with a friend, uh, share it with someone you know, maybe start up a conversation, and uh, like, share, subscribe as always. That's always my self, uh, selfish plug for this podcast to help it grow, and so I can continue doing it because I, I enjoy doing it. So until next time, guys, for another episode here on The Writer's Lens, I'm your host, J.C. Alfelto. Everyone take care, and we'll see you again soon.